0: Welcome to the Tomball Bible Church podcast. We exist to glorify Jesus Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church. Do you view yourself as mature? If someone were to say, Hey, are you spiritually mature? Are you a mature disciple? What would your response be to that? Likely, it would be that you would go, "Uh, I mean, no. And you're in good company." Uh, you know, we have a phrase here in the United States about describing someone who just seems to have it all together. We, we would say that they have the right stuff. You guys remember that film, that astronaut film, The Right Stuff? That was the, that was, you think of all the descriptions that described those astronauts. Bravery, training, courage. They had the right Stuff, they could stay awake through all the gravitational forces, right? The G-forces, they didn't pass out like I would have. They had the, or we use the word stuff in the sense of uh, that team had the stuff of legend. Maybe that would be an apt description for an athlete who despite his age continues to win championship after championship. There's just a different kind of stuff. Well, we say as a church that our mission is that we glorify Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. So the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the center part of our mission of making mature disciples. But today, we really have to wrestle with this idea of maturity. What is it how can it apply to us? How can we know when it's true about us or that we could recognize it in someone else to say, hey, a mature disciple is being made or has been made? We have to flesh this out to know what is a mature disciple because there's a lot at stake with, that, with, with the end aim of maturity, and that is the maturity in the church Drives into the unity of the church. Would you use the word united to describe churches right now? We long for it. But is that our current state? We're gonna look at a letter in the Bible that is written to the church. It's divided into two halves. What should the church believe and what should the church do? And so I wanna invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter four. This is gonna begin the section of what the church is to do based off what the church should know and learn. Ephesians chapter four and we'll be in verse one. I think often when it comes to defining maturity, we will will do it in terms of, of viewing someone who knows much more than what we know or someone who does much more than what we do. But what we're gonna find is just knowledge and acts of service does not always equal in and of itself maturity. What we will find in this text is the stuff that we can know what spiritual maturity is if we possess it and how to grow in it. This is the aim direction of our church, but also the Apostle Paul. So he penned this letter, but he also penned another and I want to just draw uh, on his language as we move into the book of Ephesians. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, the Apostle Paul gives one of these summary statements of his purpose. He says, him we proclaim, the him being Christ Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul strains for this. He strives for this. This is what drives this incredible missionary for the gospel and church planner. He is after the maturity of the body. He even goes Yoda on us. Him we proclaim. Which is a right reflection of the original language to put the emphasis on Jesus. Jesus is our proclamation. Jesus is the one who has created the church. Jesus is the one in whom we follow. Jesus will be our model for maturity. And Paul says, everything I have is toward this purpose. He would say amen coming to Tombaugh Bible Church. He said, he would say, me too. I exist to glorify Jesus Christ, to make mature disciples to reach the nations. So we're gonna join him in his letter after he writes on these essential doctrinal truths for the people of God to then shift into instruction. And what he leads off with is what is most important, I believe, to him. I'm gonna read through the passage and then we're going to talk through it. Chapter four, verses one through six, the Apostle Paul writes, "'I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, "'urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling "'to which you have been called, "'with all humility and gentleness, "'with patience, bearing with one another in love, "'eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit "'and the bond of peace. "'There is one body and one Spirit, "'just as you are called to the one hope "'that belongs to your call, "'one Lord, one faith, one baptism.'" one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We will complete verses 7 through 16 next week, but this week we're making verses 1 through 6 our focus. This is how we're going to walk through the passage together. It will be in two sections. Verse 1 through 3, we're going to find the stuff of spiritual maturity. This is going to give us our definition of what spiritual maturity truly is. And then the second half is going to to give us what our model is. Because a model has been provided for us to remind the church and to set the standard for the church of how we should press toward spiritual maturity and thus see the unity of the church deepen. Like I mentioned, this book is divided into two sections. The first three chapters on doctrine, the second three chapters on application or our response. Evan last week did a masterful job of calling us to glorify Jesus Christ, that we exist to delight in him. Right before Ephesians 4 verse 1 is this doxology that Paul writes to cap this section on, this this, uh, section of of, uh, doctrine and theology. He says in verse 20, now to him, Jesus, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul ends the section on doctrine saying it is for the glory of Christ in the church that I'm writing. And now he flows into the, so now what do we do? We are to delight in our Savior and glorify him and and to see his glory made known. How? This is where we will go in chapter four, verse one. Take a look at that passage with me. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In this verse, Paul makes no bones about who's speaking to them. He's like, this is me the prisoner for the Lord. So he's under house arrest in Rome, writing back to churches that are in modern-day Turkey, sending these letters in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are called the prison epistles or letters. So he's under house arrest. He can receive visitors, but he can't go anywhere. And he's absolutely under lockdown. He was more than quarantined. But... He had a yearning to build the church and he had the moving of the Spirit of God to write new truth to the church. And out of that context, he's saying, this is I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, and I urge you. This word urge pairs nicely with Colossians 1, 29 when he says, this is what matters most, church. Time is of the essence there are real stakes at play. I urge you, I exhort you. And in his exhortation is that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The idea of walk is, this, is, this, is often translated to live, to go in a step-by-step approach. So as we walk our faith, Uh, it's important to to see that when he says, I urge you to walk, this isn't an individual. He's not saying, hey, you need to walk. He's saying, the church should walk in this way, that we together, or as we would say in Houston, y'all. So what Paul has in mind is not just a personal application that I need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that there's something about the uniqueness of the church that together we share in this, together we help or hinder our ability to walk together. I urge y'all to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This idea of worthy can be a challenge for us because we feel so unworthy. We know the truth about us. We know how, how much we fall short from the standard of Christ, if he's the standard of perfection, I mean, who in the room hasn't already had a selfish thought? I mean, that's all of us. How can we be worthy? Well, think of the idea of worthy as a scale and balance. On one side of the scale is this calling that we're going to look at in just a moment. And he's saying that we are to walk in such a way that balances together, that they, they go hand in hand. And so we wake up out of balance. There's a number of things that we can think that we can put on this side of the scale to match the calling to which we've been given. And, and often a, a barometer of if someone is mature is that they know a lot or that they do a lot. But knowledge and active doing is limited. Case in point, our, our friends, the Pharisees, did they know the Scriptures? Of course they knew the Scriptures. They memorized the Scriptures. The entire Old Testament. They not only memorized the Scriptures, but they memorized and studied the different rabbinical traditions around interpreting the Scriptures. They knew more about the Bible. They were going to forget more about the Bible than we may ever learn out of the Old Testament. Did they do fervent acts of service of course, that's what they defined their own self-righteousness based upon. Look at all that I'm doing. I do this, I don't do that. And their eyes, they would be viewed as mature. But as we see and what we will find out here, that doesn't balance the scale. And so if you're someone in the room who goes... I just don't feel like I know much. I get easily intimidated by others who, who know more about the Bible than I do. It can feel kind of hopeless when you can, when you hear that that's the aim of a church, we're going to make mature disciples. And you go, well, that ain't me. I don't know what they know. I don't do what they do. That must be about somebody else. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So let's just talk about the calling for a second. You can turn back in your Bibles to Ephesians 1, and uh, you can find where calling comes to the forefront, especially attached to the work of the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 17, he says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what is that hope? What is the hope of our calling? And what is the nature of our calling? It's that God called us out of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's the passage that Rob Trahan read from home to open our time together. This is the calling that God has has called you and chosen you to know him through the completed work of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us as the eternal son of God, gave his life for us, died on the cross for our sins, rose victoriously from the grave. And God the father and his sovereignty has opened our eyes to the beauty of Jesus, has empowered us to believe. And by faith, we have received what he's done for us. And with that comes a certain hope and the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance with God. Forever, our hope is anchored in the sovereign plan of the Father, the completed work of the Son, and the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's saying, your life needs to match that. How? Ephesians 4 verse 2. He says, I urge you, church, y'all walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I want to look at these concepts in pairs. The first two, humility and gentleness. They go together. Humility is a mindset that, can only, that I'm held accountable for, and so are you. This is a mindset that I view others with a greater significance than myself. The New Testament, by the Spirit of God inspiring the writers of the New Testament, introduced this world to the Greco-Roman world. You won't find humility in, in Roman literature around this time. It was not a cherished value. This was something that Jesus Christ ushered in. Someone who had all authority over all nations yet humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant and washing his disciples' feet and then ultimately giving his life. The one who should never have had to do that emptied himself willingly as the model of humility in the church is to be marked by that kind of humility. It's to go low in your thinking of yourself. Not that you think of yourself as having less value. You just don't think about yourself much at all. So a person who understands the call of humility begins to tip the balance with the calling, humility, gentleness. This is a relationship word. Gentleness or meekness is where someone has uh, strength, engages with someone who may be a little weaker than them. As we look at these different elements of what spiritual maturity is, we're going to find that that there's going to be brothers and sisters in and around us that have greater maturity in that area where we might have greater maturity in another area and we need that sharpen, iron sharpens iron connection with each other to build up a balance of maturity. But both humility and gentleness are marked by this concept of Low. Does your life reveal that you go into relationships lowly? You can put out to the side of your uh, your margin. The Book of Matthew, chapter eleven. Listen to how Jesus describes Himself. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle. And lowly in heart. Is your life lowly? Lowly toward yourself, lowly toward others. These next two words are also relationship words that we would be uh, growing with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Bearing with one another in love. The original language uses, goes back and forth with two different words for patience, and one is used primarily for patience in circumstances, like be patient, the cold is going to pass. Sunny days will come again. We have to take it by faith. Uh, this week we challenge our faith in that, but those are, that's a patience around circumstances. But then there's a patience with people. And that is the word that Paul uses here. That we would be patient with one another. Why would this first church need to demonstrate patience together? Well, this first church was the blending together of two completely different worldviews and cultures. You had the Jewish nation and the Jewish background meeting a Gentile perspective and because of their common faith in Jesus Christ, And by the work of the Holy Spirit, they were formed into a new entity, a new identity, a shared group, but they ate food differently. They drank different things. They approached everything from a different lens, and yet they were somehow supposed to be in unity together when they were colliding continually on a different viewpoint. One group was raised to believe that Rome was the power of the the earth, and they came to realize that Jesus Christ is greater than all. One other group was raised to believe that someday the Messiah would come and they should just fervently pray and pray and pray and live out a righteous life waiting for the Messiah to come. And they came and discovered the Messiah came. And now they're supposed to be the very represent- representation of Jesus on earth get along? How is that going to happen? It can only happen when they live slowly, patient with one another. And this patience is also tied to when there has been disappointment or a break of relationship, that you're patient to see relationships through. That's carried forward and and emphasized in this final phrase of bearing, bearing with one another in love. Love is the background of all of these values, all of these characteristics of what is truly spiritually mature that balances the scale equal to the calling that we've been given. And so with love being the motivation Are you living low and slow with one another? There's a great theological movie called Cars. Lightning McQueen blesses a community by finishing a a newly paved road and two cars are married to each other. One's named Flo and the other one's named Ramon. And they're very excited to roll out on this new road that's been paved for them. And she goes, How do you want to take it? And he says, Low and slow. Because he's a low rider and he's Cheech Marin. And that's hilarious. (laughs) On this road that has been paved for us by Jesus Christ, church, how are we to take it? Say it with me Low and slow. Do those words mark your life? Are you seeking to be humble toward others? Gentle in your dealings with them. Patient, not wanting to just unfollow them or dive right into cancel culture. This week I was with a group of pastors and it was such a blessing and I I met a guy named Jarrett Stevens. He's the brand new pastor at Champion Forest Baptist Church and because we were the new guys at the table, they stopped everything and prayed over us like-minded brothers wanting to to steward ministry well in our churches, and we spent some time just talking about the challenges of this past year. Some innovative practices that churches have tried to engage in to, to connect with people who have been distanced. But behind the voices of each of these guys was pain. People have left their churches to go to the churches of other guys in the room because their practices during this time don't match the practices that people wanted, so they went there. And that's, that's the day and time which we live right now. Now, I get it. I really do get it that there are deeply held convictions about what's happening. But this season of time, I believe, is a, is a, a litmus test on the level of endurance that there is in a church family. Now, there are good reasons to break fellowship. I just say, we gotta go slow, bearing with one another. I'm excited that I have brothers and sisters that are here from Topeka, Kansas and we can blame them for bringing the winter here. They packed it in their suitcase and opened it up. And I love it. I love that they're here to share in with this body of believers because they're pursuing the same things. But it grieves me when I read on Facebook people who have left my previous body and are no longer in fellowship with them. Where's the endurance together to stay it, to stay the course? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. These are the marks of what is true spiritual maturity. Now, the danger for me is to stand on a pulpit and and proclaim this stuff as if I am the model of maturity. Praise God, I'm not. Chances are high I've already disappointed you in these six months. Well, hang on. I get to do that some more. Hopefully not. I'm not the model of maturity. But there are things that I'm in pursuit of that is my aim. I want to be marked by these things. And I want that for you. There should be an eagerness among us, something that we all collectively share and desire. Verse three, that we are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain. That's an important word in this passage. You should circle, put it in a box, the word maintain, because it it reveals to us what is our responsibility and then what is God's responsibility You see, this was my learning in my study this week that I I can kind of think that somehow it's up to us to build, to, to bring unity to the church, but that's not us. There's an owner of the unity of the church in this verse. Who owns the unity of the church? The Spirit. It wasn't a group of Jewish believers and it wasn't a group of of Gentile believers getting together in a room and saying, hey, y'all, let's form a new team. We're gonna be uh, the Bucket Chiefs, which would be one dangerous football team. They didn't do that. It was the Spirit of God that has done only what the Spirit of God can do and united a very distinct group of people into one but it falls to the church to maintain and sustain that. You see, spiritual maturity isn't about getting getting better. It's the church drawing closer, helping one another become more and more the image of Jesus. That builds up our unity, and it builds up peace, and that is our bond. If you want to do an additional study just for grins and giggles, study the word peace as a theme through the book of Ephesians. You'll see that that is the glue of the church and the the peace of God comes from him. And we experience it when we strive and are eager to maintain and sustain unity. I want to share a passage with you. That uh, will sound very similar to this because Paul, under imprisonment, wrote to another church in the area of modern Turkey called Colossae in the book of Colossians. Verse 12 of chapter 3 says, "'Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts.'" Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Do you hear all of the connections and parallels between Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4? This is because this really, 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 really matters. This is the stuff of spiritual maturity. Will Tomball Bible Church be marked by the right stuff? Godly lives stuffed with humility, gentleness, patience, and enduring relationships. Where our commitment together is we learn to know God and that we live low and slow in unity. Now, this will require some things that we'll see in a moment, and one of those things that will require is that we actually know one another and engage in relationship together. But here's what Paul does. Paul makes this very distinct and tightly packed call into what the church ought to do, and he follows it with one of the early creeds of the church. This creed will describe the kind of unity we share in. We'll also find in this passage the model for spiritual maturity and unity. So verse four, there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. In each verse, we're going to see a person of the Trinity come to the forefront, surrounded by... That person's unique work as God. It is one Holy Spirit who has created one new body. And therefore, He is the substance of our hope that belongs to our call. We have one body, one Spirit, one hope. The thing that you look forward to in your life is what I look forward to. Don't you want Jesus to come? Don't you want Jesus to make all things that are wrong right? Don't you hope that your kids would know that Jesus is their savior and that they would walk with him and simply love him? That's the hope that we have, that that God will accomplish his work and see it through. We share that, and it comes from the one spirit. Verse five, there's one Lord One faith, one baptism. We have one Savior. He is Jesus Christ. The one and only, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. We have one faith claim. That means I can go anywhere in the world, and when there is someone who has yielded their heart to Jesus, I can say, I know who has saved you because he saved me. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ the righteous, who died for us and rose from the dead there's one faith. There's only one expression of I believe and receive the truth that Jesus is the Son of God who died for me and rose from the dead. And then there's one baptism, one special work that has been given to the church that we would consistently show others that we follow Jesus. It's a sign given to the church that we identify with how Jesus died and was buried and was risen from the dead. That's what he did for me. And I was baptized and brought to new life. It's never the water that does the work of salvation. It's never the water that makes you a cleaner Christian. It's the completed work of Christ. If you have never been baptized, church, like knowing what you are doing, not not being uh, blessed by your parents as an infant. But if you've never been knowingly, willfully baptized, get baptized. It's what we share in to to give a public demonstration of who we believe, what we believe. So there's the work of the Spirit, there's the work of the Son, and then verse 6 is the culmination one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You mean to tell me that God is is not just at work in the clergy? Thank goodness for that. He says He's the one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Every member of the body of Christ has purpose and value. We share the same Father who loves us, who is with us, who endures with us. He works through us, and He remains and abides with us. But we cannot miss the purposeful use of the Trinity at this moment because it is the Trinity who is the perfect model both of spiritual maturity and unity? Is there humility in the Trinity? Is there the the laying down of strength and power for the good of the other in the Trinity? Is there gentleness and meekness? Is there submission and yielding from the Spirit and the Son to the Father? Yes, there is. That means the way that we interact with one another should mirror and balance how God interacts within his own persons. Seven perfect aspects of unity are found in our God. We have one body and one hope with one spirit. We have one faith and one baptism with one Lord. And we have one God and Father of all who's over us all, he's through us all, and he's in us all. The perfect model of spiritual maturity for us is God in unity with Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. So here is our commitment that I believe we should make. Is, let me just ask you this, is knowledge a component of spiritual maturity? Yeah, I believe it is. And I've had from from God's Word and then additional resources that have helped deepen my understanding of what it really means to have true spiritual life. And I, I wanna recommend a couple of resources to you that have helped me. One is called Seeing God by Gerald McDermott. What I love about this book is that there are 12 unreliable signs of spirituality, meaning there are 12 things that people can do that may not give you a true picture of their spiritual maturity. It's 12 things that would have marked Pharisees. And then the last half of the book are 12 reliable signs of what is vital true spiritual life through the Holy Spirit. This is a distilling of a major tome called Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections. If any of you have seen that, it's like this big. And so I'm offering to you this. Or this. This is called Signs of the Spirit by Sam Storms. This is a distilling of Edwards' work, and this is a distilling of McDermott's work. So they are in a discipleship tree. And so when it comes to readability, there's Jonathan Edwards, and God bless you if that's you uh, to read that. There's McDermott, or there's Sam Storms, who has done a really faithful job of distilling what is authentic spirituality. That lines up quite nicely with this. Yes, knowledge and learning are aspects of spiritual maturity. It's just not the sum total. So we learn, this needs to be our discipleship commitment, that we learn to know God so that we live low and slow in unity. I'm reminded of how Titus opens his, his uh, Paul opens his letter to Titus where he says, I'm writing toward the knowledge of the faith that leads to godliness. So knowledge is driving toward an outcome, and that is, in this context, what I'm presenting as low and slow unity. Our commitment is we learn to know God so that we live low and slow in unity. Humility and gentleness, patience and enduring relationships Those are the things that should mark this church. So I I have some questions for you. And we can think of them in terms of the umbrellas of low and slow. But what area of spiritual maturity is God seeking to deepen in you right now? We all could say all four. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. But is there something that in this moment God is surfacing for you saying, my son or my daughter, I want to deepen this in you? This is not the sum total of everything that's part of spiritual maturity. There's a whole list of fruits of the Spirit or fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Only you can fill in this blank right now. What is God seeking to deepen in you towards deeper spiritual maturity? I need greater patience. Who is helping you deepen in the stuff of spiritual maturity? Everyone in the church, it's my dream, has a name or a set of names to put in that blank. Who is helping you deepen in the stuff of spiritual maturity? You cannot grow in these by yourself. There have to be people that you have opened your life up to to say, come in My aim, the hope of my heart is the same as the hope of your heart. It's Jesus and His renown and His kingdom, and I fall short, and here's where, and here's where I need to grow. I've also grown lazy. And it's a challenge for me to stay on top of physical fitness. So I have a choice do I just hide it and view it as it's a common American practice to live this way? We don't get too riled up from pulpits about that. Or do I invite others in? Like John Hattenberger who's relentless and my wife. But they love me and so they keep Keep checking. Who are you helping to do the same? In the body of Christ, there is this iron sharpens iron. Who are you seeking to help you deepen your spiritual maturity? And who are you helping? Are there children that you can serve? Are there students you can pour into? Are there peers that you can come alongside of? Not from a position of greatness, but from a position of balance. Balance. I'm out of whack. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. (laughs) If we do this, if we have answers to this, it will build up a unity because there will be a deeper knowing of one another. There will be an encouragement. There will be a spirit of joy that fills this room. And we will be moved in unison to serve and to love. And it is through that that we are promised that the world will see. This week is about really diving into our maturity. And next week will be about the sending nature of discipleship. And it's part in the role of living out a mature walk, but I want everyone to be exhorted and encouraged. We can be spiritually mature as we learn about our God and live low and slow in unity. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church.